Because I'm, oh, how about that? It must have been Jerry's elbow or Billy's elbow or whoever it was. Uh, it's kind of quiet this morning. I want to give you something to be excited about this morning. Let me first of all, let me say this. Back in a few years ago, there was a group of men that gathered together, and we called ourselves the Promise Keepers. Remember that? Some of you here were part of that. I know. Yeah, we did that. You know what's really cool about that? It's because we celebrated God as the promise keeper, the ultimate promise keeper. Nobody got that until you got involved in the movement. You see, we were promised, we were, we vowed to be promise keepers. We would keep his word. I'm human, folks. Can't do that. I don't know about you. Can't do that all the time. But when we found out that God is the ultimate promise keeper, that really changes everything, doesn't it? Now I need to know what his promises are so I can go and stand. You know, Jerry reminds me often. Jerry, Jerry knows all the hymns in the hymn. Well, I'm, Sunday we're going to have him to sing instead. No, what? <laughs> but you know, there's one of them that you reminded us of not too long ago in one of our, our studies, Bible study, wherever we were. It was Standing on the Promises. You ever remember that song? That was a really neat song to know. Isn't it great to give testimony that God, our Father, keeps his promises always? You know, if you know what God's promises are, you can count on them always. Can you not? Not one amen in here on that one. I can't think of any more comforting promise than this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, in a time when our future seems to be so uncertain in our culture, right? We have so many promises. There are all these promises are being kept right now, right? When you go to the polls on Tuesday, all those promises are going to be kept. You can know that, right? Uh-huh, yeah. We live in a lot of uncertainty, don't we? But isn't it great to know that we live under a God who knows everything and who has promised us, given us all of his promises? We need to know what they are, don't we? Amen. And then we can count on them. And there's a lot of times, I tell you, when it's hard during the week sometimes, isn't it? And you think, oh, golly, I don't know what's going to happen. God does. And you belong to him. If you do belong to him, let me say it that way. If you belong to him, you can count on him. He doesn't give anything that's bad to you. He has nothing but good things for you. Do you know that? Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. Scripture says that. We may not understand that and what that good is, but mm. he says, look, this is one of the most comprehensive and gracious promises given to believers in all of Scripture. It says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You know what? Jesus is so wants us to know that so well. He repeats it in the next verses. He says, for everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Folks, this is a promise from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How can you not believe it? I hope you base your whole life on his promises. He's the one that keeps his promises always. He's never broken a promise. Do you know that? You can go all the way through Scripture, and he's never broken a promise. 
And if you really know him and you live your life under him, you can go back and think about the promises that you counted on. He's never broken one, has he? Maybe if some I didn't understand, we'll get to that. I'll talk about that maybe in a minute. If we um, have heard Jesus speak to us in his greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, and we read the whole Bible, one thing that is certain is that the biblical worldview of life as opposed to all of the all the other world's view, is a journey full of problems and uncertainties. You agree with that? It is, isn't it? Well, with that being the case, what really matters in life is not so much the problems we run into, but really how we deal with them. Every one of us is going to have problems this week. You know that. They're coming. That's something you can count on. But how are you going to deal with them? That's what's really important. You know, think about it. We see this all the way through the Bible. If you go back to Abraham, it says Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was happy to do that. What's wrong with you, Abraham? Not knowing where you're going? Let me tell you what. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he knew who was going with him. We do too. Do you know that? Well... We all have a life journey before us, don't we? Everybody here has one, and I hope it's in Christ. And as believers in Christ our Savior, we're all children of God. We've already learned that. We've seen that in the Scripture we've been reading. That's a promise, too. If you receive Jesus Christ, you know what? He's not just Savior and Lord. He calls you brother. He calls you friend because we are part of the family of God. God is our Father. Wow. That's a promise. Do you think that a heavenly father is going to be mean to his kids? He's not, is he? As he sends us out into his life, he says, Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you know what that next verse says? And look, I believe that Jesus says this to his disciples. If you go back and read where it is, this is where he ascends into heaven. He says, and look, as he ascends, I am with you always. Jesus Christ has gone to sit at the right hand of God the Father, and he is with us always through the Holy Spirit. I just promise. You believe that? Amen. What do we worry about? The uncertainties in life, right? You know, think about this. Jesus facing the cross, knowing that even his most trusted disciples were going to turn away from him. Whoa, like we said this morning, maybe not say a good word about Jesus. They were going to turn away from him. They're suddenly going to leave him, forsake him in their fear because of their own skins to save their own flesh and blood. He said, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Father never was going to leave the son, was he? You think he's going to leave his children? All who have received him? He's not. Our, our Lord doesn't promise to change our life for, uh, for us by, by removing the problems, does he? He doesn't. He didn't say, I'm going to take away all your problems, all your difficulties, all the trials that you have. He never says you remove the thorns and leave just the roses with that sweet, sweet aroma. He never says that. 
It didn't say that's going to happen. Instead, he tells us about the things we're going to face while in the flesh. And while we're in these, the, the, this world, that, and he tells us we can know him in a way that we never need to be afraid. Just know Jesus and walk with him, know him. He said, all of that in this great promise, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Whoa. That's all we have to do, right? This is one of those verses, folks, that really needs to be mined. You need to mine the nuggets out of this one. You need to dig down into it. And I think too many times this is one of those verses that people memorize like a chant. Like, you know, when I'm under pressure, then I'm going to chant this and everything's magically going to be gone. It doesn't work that way. We don't really have any chants in the Bible, I'm sorry to tell you. This is when we really need to see how this applies to our life. Let me tell you, that's one of the abuses of this scripture is that we treat it like a chant. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing we do is that it, when it's taken out of context, boy, we're really good at taking stuff. You know, a lot of, you know, I, t- I explained placitis to you last week. Remember that one? This is one of those deals, too. It, it, sometimes you have to read the whole thing. It, it, and here's the one that where it really gets driven home the wrong way. And it's what we call the uh, uh, name it and claim it evangelists. You know, here, here's what they say. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. means that I can ask or tell God what he's going to give me. Nobody here has ever done that. Way too quiet for that. Mm-hmm. That happens, doesn't it? After all, it says right here, it will be given to me if I ask, right? Isn't that what it says? And they stop right there without reading the whole thing. You've got to read all of it. What is Jesus saying? They just take all the requests to God, and, and with many of those requests not granted that they don't tell you about, they end up in a whole lot of deep depression What our country calls it and very very disappointed and very very unhappy don't do that jesus says don't do that it's an early stop it (laughs) he says just don't do that scripture let me tell you something folks scripture is not on demand you don't go to the internet and pull down your favorite scripture and say wow now my life's going to be great didn't work like that you don't just add water and stir it's not that kind of recipe at all It, it, it won't work you know, when it's unlike a, a, a government that's made by human design that wants to make your decisions for you uh, so that you don't have to be bothered in, with thinking, God has paid you the ultimate compliment. He said, you're a thinker, and your head works. He makes, as a matter of fact, he says, here, come, come let us reason together. He actually invites you to do that. And he said, oh, that, that's why when we're looking at all of the verses in this passage we're going to look not just at verse 7. He's saying, think, know what I say to you. Know my word. And when we do that, it's simple to see that this passage is not just a, a, a universal name it and claim it promise from God. You've got to read the whole thing. And you have to do it diligently. As a matter of fact, you probably got to do it more than once. Um, it goes a whole lot farther than that. It says, I, I praise the Lord... <laughs> You know what? I personally praise the Lord. This is not a name it and claim it verse because in my life, there's been a lot of times when I said, Lord, I've got to have this. And if he'd done that, I would not be here today. 
Too many things would have, my life would have been a horrible mess if I had gotten everything that I asked God for. He knows better, doesn't he? You know, that would have been a tragic. Now, I don't even want to stop to think about it. I'll go into depression. You have to come up here and minister to me. How's that? You know, God knew and he watched over me. And uh, he protected me. He never left me. Uh, I know many of you can say the same thing. Um, so let's look at this promise. With all the knowledge that our Lord has given us it, it's through his teaching, uh, we should ask, why did Jesus say this here? Why is it here in this, in this place in Scripture? So uh, remember, a lot of people who read it just read parts of the sermon at a time. And as a matter of fact, remember, there's a lot of people who've actually preached this over the years that the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that, that, verse, that uh, chapters 5 and 6 have a plan and a purpose and read through. But 7 is just like a, like a bunch of uh, Proverbs. And they just, Jesus just kind of tacked on so we can have some things to look up and live by and memorize and do all that stuff. But we already found out that's not true because we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount. There's a theme running here. We said that, and we, we talk, started on 7, and it's about judgment. You know, what is judgment? Uh, and, and we've already been reminded that, that God is the final judge of the world. You and I can't judge like he judges. He condemns. How many times do we judge and boom, we condemn somebody and boom, relationship's over, right? It's not what he's saying. And it's, and it's not what he's saying here to do. So everything we do in this world is tremendously important and we can't take anything for granted. We have to judge it, discern it the way that he shows us to do that. So with that, with that judgment theme, Jesus began telling us about the dangers of judging others because we, we are under judgment and are not qualified to judge. We're discerners, not judges. So why did Jesus say, ask, seek, and knock? What's he talking about? Well, in verse 1 through 6, he showed us the dangers of judging others as we are the final judges and keeping the bitterness in our hearts when we do that. Anybody here ever judge somebody and then all of a sudden, what happens? You're arrogant. You know, I did, I'm better. I'm, I did something. You're not. You still are a sin carrier. That old part is still in there, isn't it? New life's being worked out in there. He tells us to remove the log in our own eyes before you begin that, that really hard ophthalmological surgery of taking the splinter out of somebody else's eye. That's a pretty tough operation, isn't it? If it's really done right. But we, here we are living with a log in our own. You know, we have too much sin in our own lives to judge others is what he's saying. We can't do that. And all that shows, shows us our desperate need for Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Did you hear that? I said desperate We need his, his cleansing. We need Jesus. You know, we have to know that we are totally and completely helpless sinners. Every one of us. We have to come to that point. And I don't think we do. Let me tell you what. I am useless, hopeless, helpless. I'm headed for hell without Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other answer. So, with that being the case, how are we ever going to live out the Sermon on the Mount? How could that possibly be? 
You know what? Jesus has set standards that are beyond my reach. How about you? How are we going to do this? You know, I need grace. I need help. Where can I get it? Here's the answer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock. The door will be open to you. You know what Jesus is saying? I have a supply that you need, and it's endless. You just have to come to me. You have to ask, and you have to seek. Keep on seeking. Don't stop. Keep on knocking on that door. I'll open it, but you have to come to me. You can't do it on your own. So the big question I have here, why aren't Christians who know this and have read this living out Christian lives, full lives, why aren't we doing that? Everything we need for a quality life in Jesus Christ is available right here. He tells us that. That's his promise. Whoa, back to that promise-keeping thing. Why are we living the Sermon on the Mount out? Why, why aren't we conforming more each day to the pattern of Christ? Everything we need is right here in his promises. What have we missed? What are we not doing right here? Jesus knows, knows this before we were born. And, and knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and he knows we ask the questions, so he gives us the answer. But we have to do something. We have to ask. We have to ask, seek, and knock. In other words, there are certain conditions we have to meet before we can rejoice in these great benefits that Christ offers. If we are to go through the life triumphantly, there's a lot of great sermons about triumphant living, isn't it? If we're going to do that, knowing the victory in Christ with peace and joy in our hearts, ready to face whatever is known and thrown at us without knowing what it is or what it's going to be, in spite of everything, there are certain things that we have to realize. Here's the first thing. We have to realize our need. That makes the name it and claim it philosophy just so sad, doesn't it? There's a lot of feel-good preaching going out there that never puts us in touch with our real need. Our real need is not a new car. It's not a lot of money. It's not a new home. It's not a new whatever. It's not the latest and greatest of anything. It's Jesus Christ. It's a Savior to save us from sin. That's our real need. They never lead people to a conviction of sin, do they? Listen to some. Oh, I don't want to say that. You've heard them. You know what they say and what they don't say. They never talk about the horrible, terribleness, I don't know another word, of sin. It's eternal and it's horrible. You don't ever hear them talk about that, do you? These name it and claim it folks. Yeah. They may say, oh, yeah, look at Jesus. But let me tell you what, looking is not enough. You have to receive him. You have to let him in. You have to let him be Lord. Unless someone is totally and completely convicted of their sin and totally convinced there is nothing else other than Jesus Christ, unless they know that they are totally hopeless, their condition is hopeless, they will never Turn to Christ. They have to come to that point. We have to understand our need, and, and then we have to see the riches of the grace in Jesus Christ. 
That's what we're doing, folks. That's what we're showing people out there in the world all around us. He is so rich, richer than any of the healthy and wealthy and preachers, isn't he? He has all the riches there is and all that we need. Our need is Jesus Christ, is our Savior and our Lord. And we need to see that. And we need to see the, the immeasurable value of him being in our lives and running it. You know what? He's there, too, for all who will receive him, for all who will come to Jesus. Jesus tells us in this passage that, that we must realize our need. And our real need in every situation is three things. Ask, seek, and knock. That's how we realize it. Ask, seek, and knock. Always. There are a lot of commentaries that use a, we talked about this this morning in, in Sunday school, there are a lot of commentaries that use what they call the critical method, critical literary method of, of, of trying to, to take these words apart. You know, I'm sure there's three points in a lot of sermons. You know, how do you take in each one and doing each one separately and knowing how important it is? Let me tell you one thing I know for certain. I believe that this is all about persistence. We said that this morning, didn't we? We actually learned that, I think, this morning in, in Sunday school. It is. These, these three things, ask, seek, and knock, it's about persistence. Now, let me tell you what. Don't confuse persistence with nagging, especially you wives. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, am, I am joking. It, it's, it's not nagging. That's not what persistence is. Persistence is continual, never stopping going to Jesus. Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow. Remember that one? And um, before the judge who, who neither feared God nor was righteous. And um, the judge provided her justice because of her perseverance. And Jesus asks, and will not God being, bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. That's Jesus talking about you and me. Um, these three words Jesus uses here are really about persistence. Not nagging at all. But there's a, here's what we do instead of being persistent. We stop in our life for our, our self-assessment, and usually around New Year. Let me just play through one here with you. I know we all did this. I'm far enough away from New Year on the other side that I can talk about it. You know, but here's what they Think about it. New Year, New Year's Day. We all do this this thing, right? And so we come to the point. We say, okay, you know, life's moving ahead, and uh, I'm not really hitting on all eight cylinders here. I need to have something else firing here. So how do I improve my performance? Uh, and, and and I'm not really where I should be with the Lord. So you know, we we make these vows, and maybe you said with some of us here, we said, okay, I'm going. And this may be an indictment. I'm sorry. If uh, we say, okay, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to read God's word every day and i'm going to pray every day maybe some of you even said you know i'm going to begin, a, begin this fasting thing i'm going to do it on, on a regular thing that those kind of sacrifices so january 1 you start your reading bible schedule right a lot of you people you ever think a lot of people have done that but pretty soon you know the schedule gets in the way doesn't it whoops missed a day golly man i gotta go back and i gotta make that up get all messed up and and then i, I have to reschedule and I have to, have to redo some stuff. And, and by January the 15th, man, you know, uh, I'm kind of sputtering here a little bit. 
this whole resolution thing is really kind of getting a little messed up. And by July 1, I've forgotten about it. Happens, doesn't it? Happens to a lot of folks. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If, if you and I were to receive the blessings that God has in store for us, we have to keep on asking for them. We have to keep on seeking them out. What are they? And we have to keep on knocking at the door. I, I can't think of anything more damaging than, than to a growing cis, uh, Christian, someone who is really growing in the Lord, than becoming, becoming content with passing desires. You know, how many times do you say, okay, wow, Lord, thank you for that blessing. That's great. And then you stop and rest. Don't stop. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Okay, Lord, there's more blessings to be had for you and for your sake. What are they? Ask. You'll seek them out. You know how you seek them out? By reading his word and knowing what it says. Keep knocking on the door. And he's going to open it for you. We have to have this, this hunger and this thirst for righteousness that we talked about back in chapter 5, Matthew 5, you know, in the Beatitudes. And, and, and then when that happens, we are filled. But here's the good news. Jesus is infinite. God is infinite with his blessings. You never get filled. You know, I, I, all this stuff, I have, I have friends who talk about getting their, their spiritual tank filled. It ain't going to happen. Because you see... God just keeps on making it bigger and bigger, and his blessings never end if you keep going to him. <clears throat> Seeking simply means to keep on going and keep on asking and never stopping. I can't think of anything more damaging than a growing Christian being content with what what's he's already received and stopping there. you got to keep going. We go on hungering and thirsting. You know what Paul said it this way. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have been taken, taken hold of it, but I do one, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the price for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus persistence it's a constant desire it's a constant asking constant seeking and knocking and that's where we fall most often isn't it so do this you stop and examine yourself and this time hold your progress up against the promise of Jesus in this passage okay ask yourself am I experiencing his promises that he's given me and, and if you aren't then go back and ask again. Huh, you don't stop doing that. You know, maybe he's got a different promise, or maybe you got the wrong one, or whatever. Go back and ask again. They're there. He promises you that they are. Um, you can by asking and seeking, and then you keep on asking and seeking and knocking. <laughs> you ask with a mind seeking righteousness and a love from God, and that's how we're fed, isn't it? With God's love. Keep on hungering because your appetite is insatiable. Do you know that's a prayer I have for this church body all week, every week? I pray that you have an, you develop and come to an insatiable hunger for God's word. That you you're, you're never get enough to eat. You know, I, you, you ever seen anybody that was spiritually fat? <coughs> Ain't going to happen. So you know what? Just keep on eating from God's table, right? 
Yeah. He responds and he feeds and he keeps on and you keep on and you move to a higher spiritual level. And that's what God's all about, isn't it? God is spirit. There's no plateau because you're being fed and you're being elevated by God. And there is no plateau beyond him. Is there? Okay. Wow. We just keep on keeping on. And it's a fight of faith. And Jesus says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus tells us that we're always to pray and and not to lose heart. Uh, King James says not to faint. Uh, Don't just pray when you want a blessing and then stop. Always pray. Persistence. That's what we need. That's what we need more of. Realization of the need and realization of the supply. And persistence in seeking it. Here's the second thing we need to realize, and I'm going to do this quickly. Second thing we need to realize is that God is your Father. He promised you that. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, God is your Father. Jesus talked about the Father and his relationship and his children back in chapter 6, and he talks about it again in chapter 9. When we, or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bed, bread, will give him a stone? No loving father is going to do anything that's going to hurt his children. And that's what Jesus is reminding us is that, that God is our father. He's doing that for us as his children. I mean, maybe the greatest deficiency of relationship is not realizing that God is our father. We say it, but do we really realize it every moment? That's what we need is an awareness of God being our father everywhere we are. He always sees us. If only we would realize that fully. I don't think we'd be worrying about anything, do you? So how do we know that God is our Father? Apostle John wrote this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You become a child of God when you're born again and you receive a new life and a new nature. We talked about that a little bit this morning and several times this week in different Bible studies. God is holy. And you and I aren't. Shocker. That a spoiler for you? We're born in sin. And, and, and matter of fact, Psalm 51 says we're even conceived in sin. But we aren't able to commune with a perfect and holy God without his nature. And he has to give us that nature. And he has through Jesus Christ. You know, he had to deal with sin. That's something we couldn't do. He couldn't do it from afar, but he did it through Jesus Christ, his son. He came up with a way. Only by believing in him, and that's something we really need to understand, believing in him. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he did that great work on the cross? Amen. And that that, is, that took away all your sins? He says that. Scripture says that. It's only then that you know that God, your Father, is your Father. And it's not until then when Jesus comes in to live. You also give us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, where we, we can actually cry. What does the Scripture say? We cry, Abba, Father, which is Daddy. We get to call God our Father when the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us. That means that your Father is interested in you and your well-being. 
That means that you can know what he's watching over you every minute. And you can know that he loves you, about his love for you, which he reveals to you. You're his child. Whatever happens, God is with you and he never leaves you because he loves you. But you know what? Jesus isn't finished with this part. Look at this. He goes on to say that our Father will never give you anything that is evil. Only what is good. Oh, I tell you what. That doesn't mean it won't be hard for those of us who are living in this world and these, these earthly bodies, does it? But it, it does mean he won't give me evil things. He doesn't give them to me. God is good all the time, and, and he says it to you and to me all the time. And here's the third thing I want us to see. We, we need to realize for a triumphant life um, is that God never makes mistakes. Whoa. Sometimes we think, whoa, Lord, did you mean that? Did you mess up here? Shame on you. God didn't make mistakes. He understands the difference between good and evil. You know that. We're the ones that chose to say we want to know what the difference is rather than relying on him in the garden. Um, he understands the difference infinitely better than you and I do. Sometimes we, we think there's something wrong here, but God, did you, did you really mean that? Uh, did you ever ask that question honestly? Yeah, I have. Remember, he won't give you what is evil and he won't lead you into the wrong direction. His knowledge is absolute and his knowledge is perfect. So if you're going off the reservation sometimes and you stop and get in touch with God, ask, seek, and knock. You know, you probably haven't been persistent enough in asking and seeking and knocking if you find yourself going the wrong way. And last, last thing, remember the, the good gifts God your Father has for you. How much will, uh, more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the theme of his dialogue with us throughout the whole Bible. What are the good things? tells us in Luke 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hmm. That was the difference, wasn't it? We talked about that this morning too. And in giving us the Holy Spirit, he gives us every gift, every grace we will ever need. See, you see now why this name it and claim it stuff just really doesn't work? You can tell I've really been offended by that some lately. I was in Houston two weeks ago, which may be the epicenter of it. Um, you know, name and claim it won't work. It can't. Never will. Jesus teaches here that we are to ask for anything that is good for us by his, for us by his life. So we're to be in his life, him and us, our life in him, his life in us. So, and you know what is that? Salvation of our soul. Those are the good things. Those are things we should be seeking not. We already have that if you receive them. Fullness of the Spirit. Uh, life of joy, peace, love, long-suffering. Well, back to that persistence thing. That kind of feeds that, doesn't it? And all the, all the virtues we see in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Read about him. Look and see what he did. You want to know who he is? Read his book. And you can know everything about him. That's who we want to be like. That's who we're becoming if we're in Christ. If we ask him remember that for the good thing he has for us we will receive them it says so right here if we seek them we will find them and if we knock he will open the door and we will enter into his presence his eternal presence so here's how we face our future find out from scripture what these things are ask for them seek them 
and knock on the door and never stop knocking. You know, I said I was never going to use talk about Greek, but I'll tell you one thing. This is written in a, in, in a tense in the Greek that means you, you ask, seek, and knock, and you don't stop. Think about that. So if you stopped, you, you shouldn't have. Go back and keep on asking and seeking and knocking. You know what? The supreme thing in all of our lives is knowing God, isn't it? Is knowing Him. The only true God. There's only one. We have so many people say, oh, yeah, there's lots of ways to God. There's lots of gods out there. No, there isn't. It's, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can know God, know Him, go to Him, find Him. If we seek him, seek all of this above everything else, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are going to be added to us. That, again, is a promise in Scripture. Did you read that one? It's true, isn't it? God will give them to us in abundance, more than we can even imagine. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Some powerful stuff, isn't it? James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know what? There's something in their verse that we miss. You see, it's essential that you act on the truth of God. You know, we can hear it, but unless we act on it, it's not going to happen. It's not really going to be worked out in our lives, is it? There is some things we have to do. I didn't say work. I said act on his word. You know what? If the Holy Spirit's moving in you to do something because of these words that you've heard this morning or you've read this week, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, you have to act on it. And here's the thing. No one can do that for you. You can go hear the most inspirational sermons in the whole world, but you have to be the one that acts. No one can do it for you. It must be your own deliberate act to respond to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. And once he acts, you know what? You're never the same. If you've never done that, if you never, ever acted on what the Lord is calling you to do, don't wait. Don't turn away from what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. Turn to him and act on it. Promise is your life will never be the same. And I can tell you what, that's a testimony you can find in several people here this morning. Your life is changed if you do what he acts for you to do. Look, once he acts, he's never, you're never the same and it's the... You know what? I read this this week. It's apparent folly of the truth that stands in the way of hundreds who have been convicted by the Spirit of God. Did you hear that? It's the folly of truth. That's what Paul calls it. It stands in the way of people acting for God. They get to like, oh, I get afraid. You know, you know I hope that sometime we can all share our testimonies. Let me, let me share. When I first came to Christ a long time ago, I was a teenager. And I was not a believer, but I'd gone to church all my life, and I'd heard all the Bible stories. And I went, and, I, and I'm a teenager. That's not a likely time to come to Christ, is it? And I was a big leader in my denominational stuff. You know, I was, I was another denomination at the time. And, and I, I came to a revival. 
you know why I went? I'm, Iris knows this. I went because a, a, a girl that was my girlfriend invited me to go. You know, so I wanted to go where she went, right? So I, I went off to this, this revival, and I heard the gospel preached this, by grace you have been saved. And the Holy Spirit that night was saying, whoa, I'm not good enough? Wait a minute. And so it bothered me. The Holy Spirit was acting in my life, wasn't he? He was convicting me. Have you ever had that happen? Tell you what, I went back the second night, and I was even more convicted. And the guy was saying, you better come down here now and give your heart. If the Lord's moving, if you feel something stirring in your heart, you better get on down here. And I'm going, ah, I can't do that. What do people think? You know, they're going to think I'm some kind of Jesus freak or something. Praise the Lord. The fourth night of the revival, I went down. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And you know what? He changed me. He changed my whole future that night, didn't he? Because I acted on what he told me to do. If you have anything like that going on in your life right now, act on it, folks. Don't wait. If the Holy Spirit is moving in your life right now, act on it. I promise you. No, he promises you. There's nothing but good ahead for you. Everything he offers you and has for you is good in his life. Amen? Amen. Lord, we come before you today thanking you, Lord, that you are the Father who provides nothing but good for your children. So, Lord, forgive us when we think, oh, this is bad. But, Lord, we know that all things work for good for those who are called according to your purpose. And, Lord, we know that you work all things for good and you have nothing but good for us according to your word and your promise that we read right here. So, Lord, may our hearts this morning just be laid out before you knowing that you are a good God, that you love us. Your love is just waiting to be poured out and to fill us, Lord, to overflowing. Lord, I pray that all of our hearts this morning respond to you in a right way. And we act according to your will and to your purpose. And always, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you if you stand and sing. and Sing this song this morning.
Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank everybody for being here this morning.